Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Showtime original Personality Crisis, One Night Only. Directed by Academy Award winner Martin Scorsese and Emmy nominee David Tedeschi, Personality Crisis, One Night Only celebrates the enduring cultural legacy of David Johansson's life and all of his personas. From his days as a pioneer of the punk rock movement, leading rock band New York Dolls, to his reinvention as Buster Poindexter, the chameleonic Johansson created a genre unto himself. Featuring a live performance, Personality Crisis, One Night Only is a testament to a performer who challenged the world to think about identity differently, changing music forever. Personality Crisis, One Night Only, streaming April 14th, only on Showtime. Streaming with Paramount+. Plus. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. 
It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hi friends, welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 98, and this episode we're lucky enough to have Holly Bowling on. We interviewed, Jonathan and I interviewed her a little bit ago, um, but we wanted to wait until she was out on tour to uh, promote the tour, and uh, her new album that was dropped a little bit ago as well. Uh, She recently played at Terrapin Crossroads, she played at uh, Warren Haynes Christmas Jam, and now she's out by herself, uh, traveling the the, the country, um, playing her songs on a on a baby grand, um, all by herself. And it's it's wonderful music. We've included some in this episode, and uh, you guys should really check her out if she's near you or or you're near her. Again, Holly Bowling is coming up, Jonathan and I, and uh, we'll have more info about the tour and uh, her dates and her locations on the website so check us out at hfpod.com hit us up uh, at hfpod on twitter and uh, thanks again for picking us up so here we go so this is uh jonathan here and i'm here with brad and we are talking to holly bowling Uh, holly is a pianist and a music fan she's just released well she's previously released an album um distillation with a dream with fish music that includes her interpretation of the tahoe tweezer many of you may have heard of that and I guess that's where it all began. But the latest album came out last month in December is called Better Left Unsung, and it contains 13 tracks of Grateful Dead music in her solo piano style. So, Holly, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for Hello. joining us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, so for, thanks for joining us, Holly. This is exciting. Um, we've all been following, I think, um, as I kind of feel like you're a fan who is who has – uh, taking something we've all loved and the, the Tahoe tweezer and, and it's it's taken you to some really great places, huh? Yeah, uh, that was kind of the uh, the catalyst for a journey that I would not have foreseen five years ago. So <laughs> it's I been a wild ride. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. Five years is crazy. Um, and, and Distillation of a Dream has been out for a couple of years, right? Uh, yeah, Distillation of a Dream came out uh, just over a year ago. Maybe a year and a half, something like that. Cool, and that contains. Um, I have the uh, the records, so that contains the original first thing that with the Tahoe tweezer, and then contains the what was that wedge? The, um, was the we've got the yeah the Chicago wedge. Chicago wedge. Yeah, one of and, the rare uh, Type Two wedge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the Glens Falls twist is on there as well. Right. Right. That's so, really good on the flip. I think this is this is. Um, I'm going to ask one of my well-thought-out questions right at the beginning here. Hope I don't use all my ammo to start. But um, <laughs> the one of the interesting things I think is is as fans, especially fish fans, there's different versions of each song. Um, how do you decide what song to kind of turn into your or compose into the solo piano song? Um, and are there 
other songs on Distillation of a Dream that come right off the album. Um, kind of talk about that a little bit, about choosing the live version versus choosing the studio version. Okay, well, maybe I'll start with that one. Um, that one's a little easier to answer. Um, a lot of the tracks on the album on Distillation of a Dream were pulled pretty much off of the studio version. And part of that is because um, a lot of those tracks I picked because they're beautiful compositions that maybe don't get played live that much by Fish, but that I had really fallen in love with, like Talk, for example. Right. That's a great song. Beautiful, stunning composition. And in that case, there's no point in taking it from a live version, right? I mean, number one, there's there's not like a, a trajectory of improvisation that goes somewhere unexpected when it's played live. And the studio version is is just stunning and, and perfect. So, um, you know, there's a bunch of tracks like that, or like Silent in the Morning. I pulled that right off the album. I love the album version. You know, there's there's nothing to <laughs> there's there's nothing to play with there. You know, um, you can't go wrong but, with that one. Yeah, but then other stuff. You know, uh, Hood is really taken from my live versions and just a hybrid of different ones that I've heard and, and then my own you know spin on the improvisation. So it's kind of a mixed bag there. But uh, when I'm picking jams to interpret on the piano, uh, it's it's partially which ones I am very drawn to, which ones I love, you know, the ones that I end up listening to repetitively because something about them just grabs me. Um, but then there's also a bunch of jams that I love that I have never tried to put into the solo piano context and probably never would because e- either it would be physically almost impossible to do on the piano just because of the limitations of the instrument itself or because I just don't feel that the piano would capture what that piece of improvisation is trying to say. And if that musical interpretation isn't going to serve the music, I'm not really interested in trying to stuff it into that box, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's it's um, amazing to me that what we consider four musicians kind of simultaneously, you know, putting out as one, um, you can turn into one piece by one person on one piano. I think that's that in itself, I can't even really wrap my head around. And, and I kind of, I tried to, when I watched the, the YouTube um, video, Distilling a Dream, um, right? And that's like the, a little eight or maybe 10 minute clip of talked about um, the album, Distilling a, of, of a Dream and a, a little tour that followed or like your simultaneous tour that you were having with Fish, seeing Fish and also playing the piano, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. Um, <laughs> But it showed you just kind of writing, yeah, writing them down, like writing, actually writing the music as you listen, right? I mean, is that how it goes? Yeah. Um, oftentimes I will transcribe, you know, straight from, I'll, I'll put headphones in and I'll just start writing down what I hear. Um, and, and that's the process if I'm, you know, like when I'm transcribing a jam or a very intricate uh, piece of composition, you know, like when I was learning part of its ice, I, I'm just writing that down as I, as I go and trying to fit all the puzzle pieces together. Um, and then other times, if it's a looser arrangement or it's a song that I know inside and out so well, often the first step will be to just sit down at the piano and play around with uh, different ways of casting the song and, and seeing what really clicks and just kind of letting things percolate and come to the surface. And then once I have uh, sort of like a rough sketch in my mind of how I want to interpret it, then I'll sit down and, and really like re-listen with fresh ears to the the piece of music, even if I know it really well, you know, there's, there's always something new to pick up on. 
um, especially when you're listening with a different objective in mind and taking a new angle on it. So, you know, sometimes it's instrument first, sometimes it's pencil and paper and headphones, and I, I will spend hours there before I go to the instrument. That, that's awesome, actually. It's kind of good to hear how you kind of peel that back and hear how you're getting into that. Where did you, where did you discover fish? Uh, let's see. I started, I got into fish while they were not playing, actually. Okay. It's kind of a, a weird way to come into it. Um, so I, when I started listening to them, um, high school, it was, I was in high school and uh, I never thought I'd get to see them live. I thought I missed the boat. I thought I missed the dead. I, th- I thought I missed fish. I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, late for everything. <laughs> and, then, uh, <laughs> and then, um, and then they announced the, the new year's show, new year's 2002, and then the, the run of three Hampton shows. And I was, you know, obviously instantly very excited. And, um, so I went to those four shows and oh great, and was you know just absolutely hooked. But it was weird because I had already gotten into them and had learned to play a bunch of these songs on piano. So I mean I knew, you know, some people go to a show because a friend takes them and they're entirely unfamiliar with the band and, and the repertoire and, and just have no idea what to expect. Maybe they get it. Maybe it takes five more times with their friend dragging them before before it clicks. But I mean I went <laughs> in knowing these songs note for note, word for word. I think because of this long waiting period. Um, I'm sure there's other people in, in my shoes too, right? Especially with, with the much longer break that happened uh, between 2.0 and 3.0. I think there's a lot of people that were in that scenario where they fell in love with the band's music and, and had tons of time to explore the catalog and never got to see them live. So that's how I came into it. And then, uh, you know, those four shows, that was enough. I was hooked and I ended up seeing all but four shows in 2.0 and, and was just really, really committed. Like I missed, I missed wow. my chance once. So I'm not going to miss it again. <laughs> you know. Whoa. So you, you only missed four shows in 2.0. Yeah. It's like, a, it was a time in my life where traveling is what I wanted to be doing. And right. uh, it, it just happened to fit. You know, yeah, if I could have done it, I probably would have too. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. We, we had um, Scott from the John T whom I know you've, played with on a while back and he was his first shows were the Hampton 09 and he was one of those who thought he'd never get to see fish at all and then, yeah so uh what about Grateful Dead was that just part of the thing when you when you were listening to fish and they they connected as for some people they naturally do and other people it doesn't but no nah, totally different pathway on that one for Excellent. me um I grew up with that music my parents were into the dead um okay my dad especially, and that's some of the earliest music I ever remember hearing. I grew up with that as like the soundtrack to my childhood. And so, um, you know, I'm sure there was a point in my life where that became uh, something that I had more ownership over and became music that I was listening to because I liked it rather than because I grew up with it. And I, I couldn't pinpoint when that was, but those songs have held meaning for me for, I mean, yeah, as, as far back as I can remember. Well, it me that's awesome. I have a seven-year-old who like... <laughs> is now fighting the, the dead, even though you know when she was younger, that's she was totally fine listening to it. And now she's she's fighting listening to it. So it, hopefully she'll come back around at some point. On her own, though, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to you got to let them, uh, you know, listen to whatever they want. Before, hopefully they come back. Absolutely. Um, and so Holly, I know you're based in the Bay Area. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is that was that where you're native? No, I grew up in Michigan, and then uh, and then I lived in the Northeast for a while, um, and I've been in San Francisco since 2003. Um, so hundreds of fish shows later, in your uh, at the Tahoe Tahoe show, see the tweezer, and um, as we kind of mentioned at the beginning, that kind of began this whole 
adventure of transcribing jams and yeah i mean I, it's that wasn't my first uh my first foray foray into playing music and and playing shows but uh it certainly sent me spinning off in a different direction yeah i went to the i went to the tahoe show and came home from the show and i think i listened to it three times or four times that night before i went to bed and another five times on the car ride home back to the bay <laughs> and like, oh, wow. that was kind of the theme for the next uh the next few months, I don't know. I, I was really, really captivated by by that one. And uh, you're having woos in your sleep, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> so, one of the things we forgot to ask at the beginning too is is an it moment for you. Was there an it moment? Um, your first shows were 2002, uh, but you knew the music before that. Um, was there an it moment? Uh, what listening uh, to a tape or a show or at a live show where you were like, "This is it." see as many of these shows as I can. Yeah, you know, New Year's 2002, they came on, they played Piper, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, I'm what else you need? <laughs> Well then, all right, let's, yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny, I was at New Year's this year, and uh, they played Piper, and, you know, we're back at MSG again, and it just, right. uh, just made me think, wow, it's funny when you come back to those same, you know, things circle back around. Right, right. 14 years later and just thinking, wow, I had I had no idea when I first walked into this building to see this band how how, <laughs> how many places this would take me. Right, and you're and you're back there. Yeah, that's 14 years is a is a long time and all the changes in life, but they're still playing wonderful music out of out of Piper. <laughs> yeah, um, and wonderful different music, you know? That's, that's sure. the thing oh, yeah. that sure. the most is like all all the different styles, even in the relatively short period of time that I've been seeing them compared to you know their career as a whole and, and how right. long some people have been checking this band out. Some the, like the the amount of ground that they've covered musically and continue to evolve and right. cover is just it's just phenomenal. <laughs> One of the things we talked about the last episode I wasn't on, but they talked about was um, Trey's tone. Did you notice it? Uh, was it something that stuck out immediately to you at MSG, or did you notice it at all? You know. I, d I don't tend to notice differences in Trey's tone until I'm like listening back later and listening era to era. Okay. And really can hear him stacked up, you know? Right. That's fair. What about um, another thing I wanted to ask you about was, was Paige's setup and his rig and, and what the Fender Rhodes that um, I guess was the, I think he added in Halloween 13, um, the wingsuit set. He may have had it before then. I'm not sure. But um, to me, that was a huge addition to his, his setup. Um, is there anything that really sticks out to you with Paige or uh, that you're envious of within his little his little castle that he has there on stage? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's 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 plenty of uh, plenty of room for envy over there. But um, I don't know. I really miss the theremin, to be honest with you. I was just listening yes. to the, uh, the gorge rock and roll. And I mean, part of that sound, I think, just came from being in that wide open space and then the things that the gorge always, um, you know, kind of lends lends itself to creating. But that that super crazy psychedelic out there sound and not that he used it all the time but i guess it just whether it was the catalyst for amazing moments or whether it only came out during those amazing moments i uh, i kind of missed that being in the rig bring back the theremin <laughs> also I'd, I'd really like to get a somewhere over the rainbow on my stats please <laughs> well, while we're making requests here <laughs> yeah exactly. we're them how about all things reconsidered you know i get <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, you, you had album of fish stuff and you've been playing that for a little while and for a long while, really. But uh, and now you got an album of Grateful Dead. You've told us that that's obviously quite near and dear to you going way back. Um, 
how did you come to decide to play Grateful Dead? How, how have you found this experience? I mean, it seems it's it's led you some interesting places. You recently played with Phil at Terrapin Station, and then uh, after that, you played with Bobby at the uh, Christmas Jam. Talk to us about Grateful Dead and playing their music. Well, that whole thing started, um, the, the whole idea of starting to apply this same approach to the Dead's music, again, it, it wasn't it wasn't a super calculated thing, like, oh, this would be the next logical step in the same way that, you know, recording this album and doing the Tahoe Tweezer wasn't really a calculated thing either. <laughs> it was just something that I started to do and loved it and, and, and really couldn't stop. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Jambase asked me to do a version of a of a dead song for that for the video countdown series that they were doing songs of their own leading up to the chicago fairly well shows oh yeah and they had uh, they had 50 different bands each record a an interpretation of a dead song and they posted the videos one by one counting down to chicago i was still very much i mean i was still i think in the process of recording distillation of a dream and, and was really deep into into that and uh but they asked me to do one so i, I started on eyes of the world and they were really pushing me to do a jam transcription. And I, I kind of said, I don't have time for this. I'm in the middle of recording this album. And, uh, and they were like, all right, we'll, we'll just do like a little jam tease, you know, just kind of allude to one of the famous versions of Eyes. And uh, so I, I agreed to do that and, and was going to do like a little, you know, 30 second snippet. Started listening through, you know, all time best versions of Eyes of the World. And I, I think 61874 was the, the second one I listened to. And I just, I just, stopped right there and said that's it this is the one that's I'm a pretty love. killer one to land on <laughs> yeah and, and there's no way i'm only doing 30 seconds of this thing like ah you know crap i guess i'm gonna have to do the whole thing and <laughs> just like <laughs> just make it happen in this short amount of time and so um i threw myself into that project just head first um because we were on a real tight deadline and uh and i loved the way their music translated to piano so much that it was kind of instantly like I mean I was literally finishing up the fish record and was when was already like I, I have to do this I have to give this kind of time to the dead's music because it, it it deserves it and uh do you, but it's paid do off you think, yeah oh yeah um definitely I wanted to ask do you think that uh, uh it was that era specifically that translates well to to the piano or or all eras of the dead um because I know obviously they've had their fair share of, of keyboardists. So do you think it's that Keith era that translates well or, or you know, even something later with Brent or, or Vince or whoever? You know, uh, I think all of their stuff translates beautifully to the piano. I personally am really drawn to, to mid-70s dead and I love Keith's style. He's my favorite Same. dead keyboardist. Awesome. Good. Um, and there's there's a lot of stuff that comes out in that era that's like, you know, it's really, it's really jazz influenced i think there's stuff with funky timing and and there's just like just in, interesting voicings and uh and so i'm very drawn to that but in general the, it's the songwriting that i that i think translates so well to piano and it's funny because such a big part of the dead's music is the lyrics and and i'm stripping all right. of that away so <laughs> you know you would almost think it wouldn't work but the melodies there are just incredible and uh it's such different music from fish that it was it was really cool for me to get to expand palette that I was working with, you know, like the range of emotions that I feel like Fish's music covers and, and what, and the space that that occupy are really different. And I, I love them both very, very deeply. Um, but to get to just have this much more ground to cover was really cool. And it's so different too. Like with, with some of the Fish arrangements I was working on, I very much felt like it was a subtractive process. 
you know, like some of the really tightly woven compositions right. are insanely complex and I can't possibly play all the notes, nor would it sound good if I somehow could find a way to do it, you know? That would be a lot of fingers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like something like it's ice, it's like, a, it's like I have to figure out what things I can subtract in order to um, still keep the character of it, but still have like the momentum and the feeling that it should have. So working on something like that, where I'm, I'm pulling pieces out in order to make the whole sound the way it should, is really different than uh, working on some of these dead compositions where like, you know, it's essentially a few chords and they're not even always just the same. And in some ways that stuff was harder to arrange than the stuff where there were a lot more notes, you know? It, it's this big open canvas and, uh, and figuring out how to make that come across with the right emotion even if it was like simpler in some senses compositionally, it was a, it was a really different challenge and uh, really cool to get to, to work with these two catalogs, especially as right around the same time Trey was playing with these guys for fairly well, you know, it all kind of happened at the same time. So I kind of had my one foot in each, uh, in each pond there, right. As the, the two streams were coming together um, on, on the larger stage. So it was kind of funny how that all worked out. Yeah, we all kind of did a little bit as fans at that time. So that's that's kind of cool that you were going in, you know, elbow deep and, and getting into the music in that, at that same time. I also think so, we have a great snippet to give to people who who aren't fans of either band. And they're like, oh, let me guess. You like Fish and you like the Grateful Dead. And no, 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 <laughs> man. They're totally different. Like, you know, and it was nice to it was nice to hear you say that, you know, the totally different music, totally different composition, the whole thing. So. Anyway, true. There, I mean, there is some, uh, you know, emotional overlap here and there, but yeah, they really do cover uh, very different ground. So uh, they have their roots in very different places, and I'm, I'm honestly right. shocked that they get lumped together as often as they do. Like, they really don't sound much alike at all, and I'm in some ways surprised that as many people appreciate both bands as they do, because man, they're drawing on really different traditions, and and just yeah, <laughs> it's it's very yep. different energy and very different. Um, very different sonic space you know their, their fan bases have all the same t-shirts and hairdos though so it goes, <laughs> it goes, um so you i i mentioned and i, I want to bring you back to this uh, that you played with got to play with phil and you played with bobby um uh, very recently as well and as a as a fan as i imagine that's terrific but also as a player you've uh been building your catalog of these solo piano interpretations of these songs what's it like to then sit down with a band and play these songs um well some of them i've had to uh some songs i've had to kind of relearn you right know? uh <laughs> suddenly not your job to play who are these other the people yes <laughs> well it's more that i've listened to it as like a cohesive whole and i haven't really approached those tunes going what's what's my role what's the space here that i should occupy as like, what does the keyboard even do here? You know, <laughs> um, but but some of the songs, you know, like uh, Terrapin, for example, like that one, I've I've learned it as a whole and I've spent so much time on it that I'm not even sure I could sit down and play it with a band right now without spending some time first going, well, what, what does my part actually do here? You know, but the, the stuff that, that I got to play with those guys has been in general, um, you know, more more open ended stuff. So um, like I got to play a. Uh, bird song and that's that's like there's a lot of room for different different lines to be what's played anyways you know and so it's sure. not it's not like i have to figure out well, what does the keyboard 
player usually do there and let me just do that and do what's been done it's it's more about just like listen and make sure you don't take up too much room you know yeah it's it's pretty open um how was, but how it's was it, it's, have a conversation between um you know several musicians on stage instead right. of you know, sometimes I feel like I'm trying to emulate that conversation that can happen between two instruments in a band, between my right hand and my left hand. And sure. they get to just like sit back and be like, oh, I don't I don't have to <laughs> I don't I don't have to be both sides of the conversation. You know, I can listen and then respond to what someone else is saying. It's really fun. And it's a really nice counterpoint to what I've been doing. Was it a highlight? I mean, how, how was the experience? Did you did you get to meet them or was it just through you on stage or, you know, kind of just give us a little bit of the background um, of the Christmas jam and meeting Bobby and Warren Haynes and all those, all those guys. Uh, it was an incredible experience and it's, it's one that was very joyful for me and very special and meaningful and that I'm very, very grateful to have had. Um, you know, we, I got to meet, I got to meet all those guys. Um, and you know, for me, meeting someone and saying hello is, is less meaningful than getting to have a musical conversation and getting to know each other that way. Like that's my favorite way to, to get to know a person, you know, whether there's someone that I've looked up to musically for a long time or whether it's just a person I've never met before. And we're, we're going to, you know, if our first real interaction is, is trading notes back and forth on stage and kind of feeling out who each other is through that, uh, through that pathway, that's, that's my favorite. So yes, we got to meet and say hi. And then that was super cool. And, and everyone was incredibly friendly and supportive but um more than anything getting to share that space uh, on stage and, and in, in the musical realm was uh was very special wow well, that's that's, that's yeah. pretty awesome <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> pardon me for just using the the, the cheap word awesome but I, I think that's, <laughs> that's that's how i see it i think that would just be you know get to have that conversation uh musical conversation right um and that that language that you share has got to be pretty pretty intense so um, you've got some tour dates ahead, I imagine, um, and I, I imagine because I don't have them directly in front of me, although I should. Um. <laughs> yeah, I've got a. Um, I've got a West, yep, we've got some dates coming up on the West Coast, um, and then I'm going to head out to the Midwest, and uh, I think we're going to we're going to add some Northeast dates as well pretty soon here. So I'm going to be awesome. trying to you know take all the stuff that I've worked on. Uh, for the album and and take it out on the road and and give it space to develop even further hopefully so I'm very excited yeah, so about that. Tell us a little bit about um, the live shows. Is is it just you and is it is it your your album songs along with some improv or um, do you have anybody join you or do you sing ever? You know, just kind of the live live show of Holly Bowling. Um, so I do sing, but not in this context. So these, these shows are all about right. instrumental solo piano. So, great. I mean, great. I'm into playing with other people. I'm into singing, but, but these are, this is one very specific thing that I've envisioned being, you know, really stripped down and really different. And I, I want the compositions and arrangements to shine through in this like one little slice of instrumentation. Um, <clears throat> but it's funny, I, <laughs> you were asking if I'm just going to play the songs off the album or what. Right. I played a... Uh, <laughs> I've played shows in the past and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll mention from stage, oh, I have a CD out, check it out, blah, blah, blah. If you liked what you heard, oh, wait, um, come to think of it, I don't think I've played a single song off the album tonight. <laughs> Whoops. <Yeah. laughs> um, but I really like changing it up. You know, I, I, I get bored playing the same stuff over and over again. Right, so right. I, don't, I don't play the same set list every night. Um, I definitely change things up and I'll be playing stuff off the album for sure, but there's a lot of things that didn't make it onto either album that I really enjoy playing. And, uh, 
And there's a ton of improvisation that it just is different every night and that I really like carving out the space for, uh, especially when I'm moving between the different energies of, um, you know, here's an arrangement of a fish song and here's an arrangement of a dead song. There's a lot of ground to cover to make the leap from one to the other if you're not going to jolt the listeners in from one to the other, you know, like there's an arc there that you really have to take your time with. And, uh, and I love that space. And I, I love, you know, both bands. One thing I will say that they have in common is that their audiences are receptive to long form, long form music and risk taking. And, you know, you don't have to feel guilty about you know, experimenting and trying something and, and taking, taking them on a musical journey that they're not expecting for a long time. You know, like they're, they're up for that. And, Sure. To walk into an audience that's like already prepped for that and excited about it and into it um, from the musician's point of view is really, really cool. You know, it, it allows yeah. me to take risks that um, I think I would have had to build up to a lot more if the audience, if I, if I didn't think they were already ready for that, you know. Um, wow. So that's that's really what I look forward to most playing live. A patient, and, and a patient audience, maybe. Yeah, and one yeah. that's receptive to, right. to improvisation, and, and they're not just looking for, like, okay, well, where's the part that I know? Right. You know? They're like, oh, cool, this is the part that I don't know. What's going to happen next? <laughs> and I'll accept it. Right, yeah, that's 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 really great. Although I'd have to say some some Fish fans, especially ones I've seen on the floor in, like, in, in Vegas recently, were, they were not patient or receptive. <laughs> for different reasons um, <laughs> right right but like right. that's, that's what happen. i chase when i go see live music and that's what i chase when i'm on the other side of it and i'm playing music you know is i mean not that i not that i don't like playing the arrangements and not that i don't have love in my heart for really good songwriting um it's not that it's just that you know the unknown there's an appeal there <laughs> and it's really fun absolutely to well we're gonna um we're gonna play everybody some of your music now and because we haven't decided what it'll be i'm not going to tell everybody what it is but i hope everybody will enjoy it and we'll be back in a minute and talk a little bit more with holly and uh we'll play some fish music after that this podcast is brought to you by the showtime original personality crisis one night only directed by academy award winner martin scorsese and emmy nominee david tedeschi Personality Crisis One Night Only celebrates the enduring cultural legacy of David Johansson's life and all of his personas. From his days as a pioneer of the punk rock movement, leading rock band New York Dolls, to his reinvention as Buster Poindexter, the chameleonic Johansson created a genre unto himself. Featuring a live performance, Personality Crisis One Night Only is a testament to a performer who challenged the world to think about identity differently, changing music forever. Personality Crisis One Night Only, streaming April 14th, only on Showtime. Streaming with Paramount+. Plus. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
That song was uh, that song is one of the tracks off the album that I put out uh, last year, which is all Fish songs rearranged for solo piano, and uh, that one's called Distillation of a Dream, and uh, and then this year um, I put out a record called Better Left Unsung, which is all the music of the Grateful Dead reimagined for solo piano. So uh, <laughs> I wa I wanted to play one of the tracks off that record for you guys too right now. Um, this is a really quiet inward song, but I think it's uh, one of the most beautiful compositions that the Dead wrote, and uh, it's one that's very close to my heart. So I hope you enjoy it.
So there's some great music, and uh, again, still here with Brad and Holly. Holly, uh, we love that. And so you've got, uh, we mentioned the tour dates, and you, what, what's going to come up next? So you, when you were finishing the Fish album, you were already thinking and looking at the Grateful Dead. Are you, uh, what are you, you going to do now? Are you going to start a band? Are you going to um, do a Kinks album? I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh, way to spoil the surprise. <laughs> uh, you no. don't have to tell us. <laughs> um, I've been writing a lot, actually. Cool. So, uh, you know, it's the challenge right now is carving out the time to work on my own stuff while I'm um, touring to support the album that I just put out. But, um, yeah, there's uh, there's some new stuff on the horizon. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. Yeah, you should so- mention that um, Holly, the tour dates, merch, and all that kind of stuff is on her website at hollybowling.com. She's on Twitter at Holly J Bowling, and then Facebook as well. I think it's Holly Bowling Music. So she's on the internet, and if you guys have access to it, you should do it. So thanks for all that, and we appreciate all the stuff you've been doing for sure. One of the things I wanted to ask Holly is, is going back again to that Distilling a Dream video that I saw the documentary on on YouTube. You said you hadn't been playing music for a while. You interpreting the Tahoe Tweezer kind of brought you back in and and re reignited it, I guess, for you. But um. What were you doing in between then? Like, were you in an office job or were you doing something music related? Yeah, I was uh, running my own uh, teaching studio. Oh, okay. Yeah, in, so it's, I mean, it's always been music, but it's just taken different forms. And um, Okay. So we're going to uh, promise everybody some fish. And Holly, you're a pretty big fish fan. And we talked before we started about what, uh, what set you might like to share with everybody. And maybe you could... Tell everybody what we're going to listen to and maybe give us an idea of why you picked it. Aha. All right. So um, one of my favorite sets and uh, one of my favorite sets is uh, the Elemental set from UIC 815-2011. I love the song selection, but more than anything, um, it's a set that's really based on improvisation more than song selection. And uh, and that's really what uh, attracted me to Fish and continues to make me keep going back. Uh, also after a theremin. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> but you know, a lot of these songs, some of these songs in that set that sometimes can go to more blissful, happy places are really dark in this one, and I like that. Um I like that it has a theme, both in the the song title selections, but the whole thing just has a feel to it. And to me, the best sets, um, they they have something thematic about them. And I don't mean that they have to, you know, this has the theme of all the different elements. I don't mean that it has to be like that, but like some sets I guess their theme or their story or the thing that makes them what they are is like, Oh, this show has incredible transitions or like this one wove in and out of this one song a million times, like sets that have like a particular character to them um, that really kind of unifies the whole thing. But this set of uh, elements set or elemental set, I just think that the improvisation and the overall feel between all of these is, is really gorgeous. And the transitions are good. You know, they're patient, um they're not too stretched out and noodly but they they just each each piece of improv seems to have a good arc to it i don't know the waves and the light are both really dark the transition from waves into undermine is super smooth and seamless and even when it drops into undermine it's like waves is still carrying over into it rather than having the usual punchy kind of funky staccato chords they're more sustained and it's like each uh each song has a good amount of overlap with what came before it's a pretty good drive into steam, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing is is just a masterpiece, and 
I don't know. I, I loved it when I was there. I love it on Relisten. I think it's a fantastic set. That's, I think it's a great pick. I, number one, um, it opens with sand and your version of sand that I listened to is really good. I think people should check that out. But, um, this set also reminds me of kind of like the Dick sets, um, like the S show and uh, all those little funky, uh, the fuck your face show, um, where the gags, yeah, the gags, but also when they have a purpose or when they go into it with something in mind, it seems like they're driven and it adds a little bit extra to me for the set or the show or, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, it's a great, it's a great show. And, and also I, you know, we got to mention the encore too. I mean, it's almost like a third set, like you mentioned earlier. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It so, yeah. It's the surprise third set, but I think you're right. Like a lot of, a lot of shows, um, that have a theme, it, it, you know, like you were mentioning the S show or the fuck your face show, those shows, you know, sometimes a show will have something like that that's a theme or it spells something where it has like a, um, every show spells something they say. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of the word here. It, it, like it, some, sometimes it's more of a gag and more of like a funny thing or a, a, you know, clever thing. Um, right. and, and other times, you know, a show just has incredible improv. So for this one to have both, you know, like there's something pre-thought out. There's something really cool they're doing with how they've structured it. But also the improvisation is really on point and has beautiful flow. The fact that they, it has it all, you know, <laughs> um, right. I think that's just really cool. Yeah. And, um, and it's a, it's a pretty legendary room too. The UIC pavilion has hosted some really good shows. It's a, it's a wonderful one or two. I'm excited. Well, um, thanks for selecting this. I hope everybody enjoys it. Um, Again, uh, folks, you can find Holly Bowling, uh, hollybowling.com, the new album uh, of Grateful Dead music, Better Left Unsung. You can find it uh, on Royal Potato Family, so you can get it from their site if you like the physical CD albums. I think they sell the MP3 there, too, or you can use it through, get it, I think, through your iTunes and those kinds of things, if that's your if that's your bag. And Holly, thanks so much for joining us. Uh Really, uh, was really excited to talk to you, and I'm glad you could uh, glad you could make it on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. So um, I'd also mentioned um, people to check out. I think it's mainly California and the Midwest, like you mentioned, um, but uh, you, everyone should turn into a bowling pin, which is what we've named uh, those, <laughs> those who follow Holly. So um, oh, check out her website, and uh, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to catch on. <laughs> watch, and we're going to hashtag it. We'll hashtag it. <laughs> so bad all right (laughs) sorry holly thanks so much for joining us we appreciate it thanks a lot
Cause 
Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.